0: In this episode of 2036, The Podcast.
1: If the work that we have done generationally puts us in a place where students are more expressive about what they need to be successful, we have a responsibility to listen, especially because we may be using mental models that does not include the diversity of students that we have on our campus now. We have more students who are learning differently. We have racial differences, regional differences. So when you have a diverse student body and we have worked to destigmatize giving them information about what they need to be successful at a place like Emory, then we have a responsibility to listen to what they're telling us.
0: Hello and welcome to 2036, the podcast. My name is Munir McJohnny, and I will be your host for this afternoon. Today with us, we have Nkugulai, Senior Vice President and Dean of Campus Life. She came to Emory in August 2019 as a nationally recognized leader in student affairs from the University of Massachusetts Amherst, where she served as Vice Chancellor of Student Affairs in Campus Life. Earlier in her career, she held positions at the University of California, Los Angeles, and at the University of Southern California. She earned a JD from the University of Georgia and a Bachelor of Science degree in print journalism from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So Dean Gly, you're responsible for 15,000 undergrad, graduate, and professional students in the areas of undergraduate residential life, health and wellness, athletics, civic engagement. How do you work towards a vision of student flourishing for such a broad and diverse audience?
1: So our students are telling us constantly Mm -hmm. in many, many, many ways what their hopes, dreams, and aspirations are. My job is really to translate it into a high-level strategy for student flourishing. And that goes beyond just what we want to do as administrators, obviously, because the students come here not as blank slates. They have formed sense of identity. They have an idea of what they want to do in their undergraduate, graduate professional programs. And part of what we have to do is couple our understanding of what makes a good university with what their hopes, aspirations are. Simple things like we know student engagement is important. We know joining organizations are important. Being part of community is important. But we have to hear students about what clubs and organizations are essential to them. We have to hear how they want to engage with these groups, what funding models they want to pursue. And so my job is really to bring that together at the highest level. The many departments in campus life, but also in consultation with the deans across campus about what that could look like.
0: How do you make sure that people who don't have a seat at the table are also being heard?
1: First of all, you make sure you are very thoughtful about who is at the table. Anytime you're making large decisions that have huge implications for students in general, I'm very careful about making sure we're as inclusive as possible. And that means, first of all, look at the composition of the room and look at the composition of your campus population and make sure folks are represented properly. But also, what time are we meeting as administrators? Mm. Eight to five, well, maybe we need to have a meeting at nine or 10 p.m. at night so students can participate. Maybe we need to be looking at social media feed because students are constantly giving us feedback there. To be inclusive, you have to consciously and intentionally go after those populations that I don't see on a day-to-day basis.
0: You talked about making sure that everybody is at the table, right? Yeah. And and in the room. And spaces are so important yeah. in today's day, right? Yeah. Especially this post-COVID world where we're finally back together in yeah. person. During your tenure here, you've overseen the opening of the new Emory Student Center and the the renovations to student identity spaces and the Alumni Memorial University Center as well. How do you envision these spaces meeting the students' needs?
1: Space is as important in creating a sense of belonging as almost everything else that we do at Emory. And who has space, where the space is, the condition of the space, the accessibility of the space are all important factors because it's one of the ways you can gauge how Successful you are in bringing students into the core of the conversations and the core of programming, yeah. and students really care very much about issues of space. Yeah, and it's not just you know necessarily static spaces; it's also accessibility of space for them, the ability to program in the evenings, mm-hmm. the ability to, to reserve without a lot of roadblocks, the ability to have meetings at nine p.m. without uh, uh, jumping through a lot of yeah. hoops. We have to be paying attention to all those things because it does send a message about how accessible the campus is for our students and also then if it doesn't feel accessible understanding that it marginalizes students in ways that also is a created barrier to their participation in mm. community right
0: I think we talked about some of the unique you know gifts that Emory has, right? Yeah. What is some challenges that you think Emory has that you would like to work on in the next five or 10 years?
1: I don't necessarily see them as challenges, but we have huge opportunities. You know, we have a great community. We have incredible students. We have incredible facilities. Where are the opportunities? It's in redefining what community means at Emory and how do we make sure everyone in the community is feeling a sense of engagement and belonging. Yeah. And that's a really difficult nut to crack because our students are so varied in their sense of what they want to do when they come here. So, But we we do have an opportunity to really define that in a meaningful way. The other is health and well-being, especially the issue of mental health for our students is a generational imperative. They care deeply about it. It is part of the way they see their day-to-day lives. It's not just that they care about it. They want their university to understand Mm -hmm. it deeply and to be involved and engage with them and really thinking through what that means for them individually. I think Emory... When you look at our healthcare footprint, I think we have an incredible opportunity to really define that as an institution. And we've been doing a lot of work to move that needle more aggressively on behalf of our students.
0: So there was a recent article that came out that actually talked about how, you know, Especially in a post-COVID world, mm-hmm. that people need to even start looking into therapy or mental health for eight-year-olds and up, right? And it's because it's impacted us so much. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you talk about the stigmatization that still exists. Yeah, there are a lot of people who would say these students don't have thick skin. They're not really there. You know, they're they're you know they're just being pansied around, right? You hear all of these things. What do you say to that? Is there a balance? Is there a, you know, a student body that we need that does have some thick skin, but is also taking care of their mental health? Are we going too, too much in one direction?
1: It's a really interesting conversation. And obviously, people who are in my roles nationally, we argue about this all the time. And where I tend to land on this issue is that if the work that we have done generationally puts us in a place where students are more expressive Hmm. about what they need to be successful, we have a responsibility to listen, right? Especially because we may be using mental models that does not include the Diversity of students that we have on our campus now. We have more students who are learning differently. We have racial differences, regional differences. So, when you have a diverse student body and we have worked to destigmatize giving them information about what they need to be successful at a place like Emory, then we have a responsibility to listen Mm -hmm. to what they're telling us.
0: And I think it so much goes back to the building blocks, right? And I think like my generation as a millennial. We thought we were the most progressive. We were fighting for LGBTQ rights. Yeah. And then this generation, they've taken it leaps, right? So it's not just... Steps sometimes. Yeah. There is exponential growth that happens as well. Absolutely. Right. And and it doubles down, you know, which is so great to see that work finally coming to fruition. Absolutely.
1: It's the intersection of those Mm -hmm. identities, too, right? So you have a student with a disability who also identifies as LGBTQ, who may also be from New York. So there's regional difference. They have a real sense of how those issues factor into if they belong, yeah. whether they yeah. belong, do is there space for yeah. them to belong at Emory. And I think that's important insight yeah. that we we have to listen to, especially as we bring some of the best and brightest yeah. in the country to Emory University.
0: Earlier, you talked about redefining or defining community. Yeah. How do you define student flourishing? We keep hearing this term. It's part of the 2036 campaign. It's something that sounds nice. What does it really mean to you?
1: A couple of things that I'll say about that is, one, the tail end of an environment that cares about student flourishing is that more of our students are consistently saying, Emory did the best it could really to meet me where I am and get me to that four-year mark in a way that felt appropriate for me. Another way to look at this is really that we are letting students be all that they are while they're here, And we're creating mechanisms for them to really think about that, to engage that, build community around it, and find it is a, a, a powerful and salient point that really motivates them to continue yeah. learning and also. When they're not here, that it is substantive enough that it can carry them into that first job, that second job, third job. We understand that it doesn't end with the with the college degree. They don't know that yet, right? right. <laughs> but we're always going to be asking ourselves, "Who am I? What am I doing? You know, am I really engaged here?" And it wouldn't it be great if our students can say consistently. I can bring the tools that help me answer these questions at Emory into other parts of my life and, yeah. and really flourish in that way. And yeah.
0: Recently, a lot of studies have shown that one of the best things for someone to have is grit
1: right? Mm -hmm. That helps
0: with resiliency, that helps with moving forward, that helps with facing failures. Mm -hmm. So how do you build a more resilient, you know, student body that has grit, that Mm -hmm. has the ability to handle changes, many unprecedented that will come their way?
1: I think our students are coming with extraordinary resilience and grit. Look at what they've experienced just in the last five to six years. I think where they come... To Emory, wanting to engage more is around meaning-making around what's happening in the world. And how do I make it better? Where we have to give them the tools that they they really came here for is to really reflect on what's happening and make meaning of it as they move forward. This population of students who are saying to us, stop looking at us as a monolith, (laughs) right? (laughs) We are coming here with very very different hopes, dreams and aspirations. Of course an aggregate we can yeah. talk about what that what that is, but that degree will mean something very specific and unique. To every student, every student here. And the more we realize that as Emory University, I think the more we can encourage students to show up as their home. You know, who Mm -hmm. are you? Mm -hmm. What do you want from this experience? And here are the tools and resources that we can afford you in in the next four years, six years, two years, you know, depending on what program you're in.
0: Here's to the students continue to flourishing. Yes. Thank you so much again for joining us, for everything that you do for Emory and for all of your insight today as well.
1: Thank you. Thank you for all that you do. On
0: the next episode of 2036 The Podcast. I think as we think about the kinds of things that contribute to as a clinician called big T and little T traumas, mm. you know, when we hold marginalized identities and we live in a place where those identities are not accepted, where it's fundamentally on a minute by minute basis feels unsafe, that's traumatic. It gets into the groundwater of the, the lives that we lead. Part of my learning and my growth as a professional, as a human in this world, and certainly as an administrator is, you know, how do I leverage my identities and the access I have, the the privileges that I have to help create space for those who may not automatically, because of our society, have that space and voice so that they can use them and help inform all of us. Join host Munir McJani and mental health expert James Raper as they envision a campus environment where all students can thrive. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about 2036 Emory's campaign to transform the future, visit 2036.emory.edu.